becoming a creator is such a superpower for all things life. Whatever it is that you're interested in or whatever career field that you're in, I think it's a really worthwhile thing to start doing if you can stomach the realities of being a creator. If you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm the kind of person that films myself. If you can sit with that, I think spending your time on learning how to be a creator and making videos that people will find interesting and piecing them together on the internet is a really worthwhile use of your time. And I especially think it is as well if you're wanting to find an audience for the finished films that you make. From the filmmaker approach to me, that mountain to climb seems, seems pretty large. It seems in order to find an audience, you need to be making things at such a caliber that by their own merit, they find people. I don't know about you, but that seems intimidating to me. And so what do you do when you find yourself as someone who has standards, who wants to make good video, and then also is starting to feel that, hey, they're slipping behind because they need to become a creator to find an audience, and that also includes video. And you don't want the videos that you make as a creator to speak negatively about the videos that you make as a filmmaker, as an artist. And so it all just like becomes super overcomplicated in your head, and then you're just overthinking it for years, right? Who's been there? I've been there. I did that. I just overthought it. I overcomplicated it. I said, okay, I need to get better gear. Okay, I need to get better on camera first. How does that work? How do you get better on camera before you start putting yourself on camera? That doesn't make sense. I need to uh, have a, a, a more interesting life. I need to, there's all these things that I was just, I could just pile it all on. And what that gave me was an opportunity to do nothing. <laughs> Yo, friend, welcome to the Adventure Film Academy show. It's great to have you. Today, we're talking about the pros and cons of being a creator versus a filmmaker. Um, are they at tension? Certainly. Uh, they're kind of contradictory terms almost in a sense. And especially when I was starting out, I had uh, some beliefs about this. I had a way that I wanted to go about it. And Along with that is I, I had no ambition of being on camera myself. I did not want to do that. And clearly I've changed my opinion somewhere along the line there. And I think that this is something that, especially those who are wanting to level up their work or are passionate about making good video can find themselves at this crossroads of, do I need to become a creator to be quote unquote, relevant in 2022? Is that something that I need to be doing? Otherwise my work won't get noticed and it will all be meaningless. Um, or the flip side of it is, hey, if I become a creator, will that give me the avenue to eventually make work that I really like as a filmmaker? There's no definitive answer that I've arrived at, but there's some thoughts that I think maybe will resonate with you if you're wanting to go one way or the other. Because I do think that there's some benefit to making a decision and then kind of sticking to it. Um, but you can also uh, switch things up as you go. A little story out of the gate, uh, we just went sailing. And sailing on the coast is kind of interesting because if you picture what it would be like to sail out on the open ocean, it's like you leave the coastline and you head out. Um, blue water sailing, getting away from the coast, it's a constant up and down of the ocean, just you, you're never sitting still. When you do coastal sailing in BC, you can tuck up into these inlets, especially uh, on the Sunshine Coast, because we're protected from Vancouver Island. So it's kind of like a big breakwater in between the ocean's aggression and the coastline, because we've got this massive island protecting us. 
And what that means is that you can snake up these inlets and go to these beautiful headwaters and see these amazing waterfalls. And oftentimes, especially this time of year, they're they're empty. There's hardly anyone there. And that's that's one of my favorite times to go sailing because it's so much more enjoyable to me when you can have some of these spots to yourself. And my favorite inlet to go up is Jervis. And then at the end of Jervis, you can head up into the Princess Louisa, Princess Louisa Inlet where Chatterbox Falls is. And that's where we just went on uh, this last sailing trip I just went on, on both trips actually. And we were anchored there in this inlet and there's not... There's not many people around, and we're on Captain John's boat. Captain John is uh, the sailor who I work with to do our adventure film workshops on sailboats, and he's just a beautiful human all around. I feel like I could probably do a whole show just about what I love about Captain John. And being out there with him in this spot, he grew up sailing there since a teenager, and so it's a very special place to me. I, I often say it's my favorite place in the world, Princess Louisa. And again, not many people are up there this time of year, and we were shuttling from the boat where we anchored over to the waterfall, and we're exploring. And one of the times on the way back, I noticed this dinghy from someone else that was kind of like doing laps around our boat, which I don't know if you know sailing etiquette, but it's it's a little weird to be poking around that close to someone's boat. And I was thinking about it, and we're I'm on a dinghy driving back to the boat, and I'm wondering, what's this guy doing? And then we eventually get back to Captain John's boat the porpoise and the guy takes off. So no idea what he was doing. He came for a closer look. He took off. Uh, Captain John would say it's because he has the most beautiful boat in the harbor and he's not wrong in that, in that regard, his boat is beautiful. And maybe, maybe the guy was just checking it out. Well, the next morning we're pulling up our anchor and we're getting ready to go. And again, this guy comes up in a, in a dinghy and he comes flying across the bay and he pulls up next to the boat as we're pulling up anchor and, and can't really be heard over the anchor chain. But we get the anchor up and he's yelling to Captain John. He's like, hey, are you, are you that captain from YouTube? I've seen you in a video up here in this very inlet. <laughs> and uh, of course, immediately we're, we're figuring out exactly which video he's talking about. The The very first time I went sailing with Captain John, I, uh, I made some vlogs and it wasn't a work trip for me. It was just I wanted to be along on the trip. And so I made some of these vlogs and ended up uploading them to the channel. And one of them, I think, was titled The Most Beautiful Place to Sail in the World. I think that's what I titled it. And all things considered, it's historically on the channel, it is, it's pretty low, below average of what our average views is. It's not a massively viewed video by any stretch. And yet here we are back in that same inlet years later, and someone comes up in a boat in a little dinghy and says, hey, my wife and I, we bought a sailboat because we saw this location, saw what you were doing, and we wanted a piece of it. And that's, I don't know, that's that's exciting to me because it wasn't like they noticed me. It wasn't like they, it had nothing to do with my most popular videos because uh, some of the van life stuff, it's easier to get recognized in that sense when I'm out doing those activities and it's such a uh, recognizable van that we drive. Uh, but it was very special for me to be standing there on Captain John's boat and have Captain John be recognized. That's always fun. Um, my ambition when I was getting into this was I liked the idea of being a filmmaker. I wasn't opposed to being a modern filmmaker in the sense of uploading my stuff to the internet and and kind of going that route. Um, I never really had ambitions to be on the camera myself. That wasn't that wasn't my first goal. In fact, I found it pretty uncomfortable to self-film videos. And I had given it a shot pretty early. And all the videos I made were my least favorite videos that had me in it. 
and I kind of decided that wasn't for me. As I wanted to get deeper into the world of doing video for my job and for also my craft for making videos for fun, I ran into this problem and that is how do I find people that will view the finished things that I make? That to me was one of the biggest problems I was up against at the start of this whole video journey is how do I find people to watch what I make? And I think there's a couple of approaches here, but from the filmmaker approach to me, that mountain to climb seems, seems pretty large. It seems in order to find an audience, you need to be making things at such a caliber that by their own merit, they find people. And I don't know about you, but that seems intimidating to me. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that the only route to becoming a filmmaker is to make things so good that people don't ignore them. But that's certainly what it felt like as I was starting my creator journey, my filmmaker journey, is uh, I have to be so good to stand out from all the noise. And it does feel like it's just getting noisier. And yet here I am looking at some of these other filmmakers or creators that have channels and Instagram pages, and they've been putting out content that involved them, the person in the content for a while, and they were growing an audience while doing that. And so here I was in this dilemma of, I didn't have an audience. I wanted to make things that were experienced by people, and I didn't want to be on camera. When I was getting into video, I was getting into it because I wanted to make things that I liked, and I wanted to share those with people to experience. And don't get me wrong, because let's say one day the, the apocalypse happens, and for some reason, me, my family uh, make it out safe in our van. We've got power, solar power. I've got cameras. We're out in the boonies uh, making, making life happen off the grid. Uh, the world is post-apocalyptic. We're, we're trying to survive. If I had a camera, I would film things. But if there's no internet, if there's uh, no community, if there's no people around, I'm not going to edit what I'm shooting. <laughs> The process of, of editing things is for an audience. It's for people to experience. I love the process of filming things, but I would never push myself through all of the hard work of the editing process where, for me, a lot of the storytelling happens. I, I wouldn't do that work if it wasn't going to be viewed by people. And this is kind of the uncomfortable place that you have to dance the line of as a creative, as someone who wants to make art, as someone who wants to tell good stories is you have to acknowledge that the stories that you find are important, if, they, if they're worth spending your time on, if they're worth trying to craft well, and you want to do the best work that you can do on it, it's also reasonable to want them to be viewed by the right people. And you can hear that in a couple of ways. But to me, the right people isn't just metrics, numbers, view count. It's the people that will enjoy that video. So for me, the sailing videos that I've made in the past... It is so rewarding to me to know that there's someone out there with his wife who bought a boat and is sailing the BC coast right now, in part because of a, a video, a silly vlog that I made with Captain John. I would hope that their experience of seeing Captain John live this coastal lifestyle that drove them down the road to try it themselves, that to me is really special. So those videos, even though they're not the most viewed on my channel, it's special to me that those connected with the right person. And so... Along with that, there's also a responsibility that if we believe that our stuff is worth editing and to invest time in, we also have to grapple with that it's worth trying to find an audience for them. Here's where I run into some creator filmmaker tensions in myself, where when I was starting this, I didn't have an audience. Uh, 
and I didn't want to be on camera and I didn't want to be this influencer style person. I wanted to just make things that I liked. The problem was though, that there was no one there to see them. Uh, there was, I think 300 after, I think I was uploading to YouTube for about four years and there was about 300 subscribers, which that's not nobody, but those 300 subscribers aren't watching every video. So the view count per video is very low. And I mean, I was at a place where I was having a hard time getting my parents to finish watching some of the videos I was making. So that's that's the state of my my craft at that point, where a lot of the videos I was making at the beginning weren't even that good. And that's where I think there's this synergy relationship that starts to happen with how we develop and also the quantity of things that we make. Do we need to be creators if we want to be filmmakers? Should creators be aspiring to be filmmakers? What do you do if you become a creator and you find yourself 10 years down the road and you can't make videos that you actually like because you've pigeonholed yourself into a specific type of YouTube channel? What happens if you're so passionate about filmmaking and you love the craft, you love the art form, and you're working at it, but you're having a really hard time finding people to see your projects? And a part of that difficulty is that you don't actually know what's working about the pieces you're finishing because there's no audience interaction there at all. I found myself in a place where I wanted to make more work that I liked. I was struggling to improve my work because I wasn't having the audience interaction. And there's a crossroads there where I could double down on just the filmmaker pathway. But I had a sense about my own abilities and I knew that the, the thing that I'm best at is not the craft of filmmaking. Um, that I'm not, I'm not so good at filmmaking that the films I make on their own can find the right audience. And for some people, and I would even argue, uh, I was chatting with my friend RJ today about this, and he was observing, you know, some of the best filmmakers and storytellers in the world are not creators. Uh, they're not. So what does that mean <laughs> for those of us who are mere mortals and are not in that upper echelon of talent where we want to do this film thing? We're struggling to find an audience for the things that we're finishing, so we can't do that feedback loop of improving. And and we're realizing that, hey, maybe in this modern age, being a creator is maybe necessary even. If we're not going to go fully down the route of trying to do it just as a filmmaker, if we, if we aren't going to dedicate everything we have to that and we... I think that the people who pursue that feel it as a calling of some kind where they just, they feel very pure about it and they want to do that as their art. For me personally, I haven't really ever felt like an artist first. I felt like a maker first. I like building things. I like meeting people. And video has been one of the ways that I do that. So I've never felt that I had something that I needed to be pure with. Uh, it, I never felt like becoming a creator would be bad. I just didn't want to. So... Let's talk about being a creator then. What are the cons of that? Well, if you go the full influencer creator route and you never, let's say you double down on a certain category and let's say you're making filmmaking, uh, you're, you're reviewing camera gear. We see this a lot in the video space where people start reviewing camera gear and they start to build an audience around reviewing camera gear because when people are looking for lenses that they want to buy, they're searching for that. So they find you and you've got a dozen other videos that are helpful about gear. So then they subscribe to your channel about gear. And then you find yourself five years down the road, you're making a lot of gear videos, but you're not, a you're not necessarily making videos that maybe you want to make. So in order to feed the beast, you have to keep making the same kind of thing. So sure, you've got an audience. Maybe you're getting thousands of views. Great. 
Maybe Amazon is paying you money for every Amazon link that gets clicked. Great, you're making money. You're enabling your, your hobby. You're enabling your profession. You're able to buy good equipment. You're getting better. But then you find yourself in this place where you can't actually make films that you like on the same channel. So what do you do then? What do you do when you're 10 years down the road and you aren't enjoying the channel that you're running? There's certain risks that come with trying to find an audience, right? Where you can pigeonhole yourself and you don't get the freedom. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of really interesting things you can do if you find yourself in that place. But if we rewind the clock back to starting, what do you do when you're starting? If you, I don't know where you sit back at home, if you want to be more of a filmmaker, if you want to be more of a creator, but I think, I think some people see being a creator as an opportunity to grow a business. They see other people doing it. So they want to do it too. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's ample opportunity to grow a good business as a creator. That is certainly something that is going to become way more prevalent across the next five years where the creator economy is going to keep growing. And there's a lot of money to be made there. And people, people see that and they see the view counts and they see the lifestyles and they go, Hey, maybe I could get a piece of that. So that can be a reason why someone becomes a creator. And I'm not going to say that that's impure. That is just one set of motivations. And then those who want to become filmmakers, maybe they're art-driven, craft-driven first, and they're just going to do that. And by the sheer force of will, they're going to meet the right people. They're going to get the right funding. They're going to find a way to make it work. Maybe they're going to uh, work as a server or work a day job to pay for it, and they're going to stay pure about it. And one day, the sheer merit of their work will stand on its own legs, and there'll be a body of work that this filmmaker has made that people will look at and just have massive respect for. And they never did the creator thing. That's certainly a path you could go. For me, I I took the hybrid path. Uh, it felt a little bit like a cheat code for me because I could take a hybrid path that allowed me to get better at what I wanted to do, which was video, but then it also could help me find people. And that's kind of where I found myself right when I was hearing about this Casey Neistat guy. Uh, the first Casey Neistat video I saw was sent to me by my mom, and it was the bike lanes video. And this is when I worked back at bike shops, and biking was my life. And that was just one of those videos that everyone emailed around. And it was very early days of YouTube, and it was a video that I saw, laughed at, and moved on with my life. I don't even think I had a YouTube account at that time to subscribe to channels. And I, I just thought, hey, this is a funny video. And then in 2015, I was embarking on trying to do video more as a full-time thing and I wanted to make stories that I liked and I was really I was starting to stress because I had no audience and so I pictured this scenario where I spend all this time working on a film and then I finish it and no one's there to see it and that really scared me so I one I hadn't made something that I really liked but two I, I thought hey if I go through all the work to make something and finish it how awkward is it going to be if it's just crickets and no one's there to care Let me know if you've ever felt something like that, where you don't want to be embarrassed by putting in so much work and then to have the response be nothing. Man, is that intimidating. And that's where I found myself when I realized, you know, I haven't made a film I like yet. Uh, and I also don't really have an audience. Uh, we should fix that. <laughs> And all the best advice at the time pointed to, hey, to start document what you're doing as, as an artist and as a creative. And I think that's where we find ourselves in a weird place as video people where our art is video. And so by being creators, we're also using video. 
it seems so much simpler to me if my art was painting where the thing I care about is painting and then to grow an audience, I can make some videos about it, but I don't have to be stressed about the videos because the videos aren't my art. The painting is the art. And so what do you do when you find yourself as someone who has standards, who wants to make good video, and then also is starting to feel that, hey, they're slipping behind because they need to become a creator to find an audience. And that also includes video. And you don't want the videos that you make as a creator to speak negatively about the videos that you make as a filmmaker, as an artist. And so it all just like becomes super overcomplicated in your head. And then you're just overthinking it for years, right? Who's been there? I've been there. I did that. I just overthought it. I overcomplicated it. I said, okay, I need to get better gear. Okay, I need to get better on camera first. How does that work? How do you get better on camera before you start putting yourself on camera? That doesn't make sense. I need to uh, have a, a, a more interesting life. I need to, there's all these things that I was just, I could just pile it all on. And what that gave me was an opportunity to do nothing. <laughs> Thankfully, I realized pretty early on that that I'm not going to be the kind of person who's artist pure and by the sheer merits of my work will survive. Um, I knew that I'd have to get a little bit scrappy and play the game a little bit. And to me, playing the game isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I knew that it would be, it would be responsible of me to start hedging my investment of time and start to build an audience on the side. And the big win about that is if you do build the audience then, hey, when you finish something you like, you can actually share it with some people. I think in your own experience, if you're sitting at a place where maybe you're like me and, and there's two things happening, where you haven't made the art that you like yet and you don't have an audience yet and you're wondering, what do I focus on first? Uh, do I want to become a creator? Do I want to just focus on my craft, on my art form? Uh, or maybe, best case scenario, there's something outside of filmmaking that you're super interested in and that's what you want to make videos about. And I think you're in a really strong position there. I'm envious of that. And it's only recently that I've started making videos about adventures of my own and they're just adventure videos about my own, but that was not my, my start. So it, I can say that it is much easier to just go on a personal adventure and make a video about that than it is to document trying to make good videos. That's a... Maybe that's a pretty meta sentence, but <laughs> uh, I'm just envious of people that do interesting things already and then start getting into video because let me just be an advocate here for a moment. I think becoming a creator is such a superpower for all things life. Whatever it is that you're interested in or whatever career field that you're in, I think it's a really worthwhile thing to start doing if you can stomach the realities of being a creator, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm the kind of person that films myself, if you can sit with that, I think spending your time on learning how to be a creator and making videos that people will find interesting and piecing them together on the internet is a really worthwhile use of your time. And I especially think it is as well if you're wanting to find an audience for the finished films that you make, especially if, like me, you're nervous that the audience isn't just going to find it on their own because maybe it's not going to be good enough. That's where I kind of, it's at that place for me where I was sent Casey Neistat's videos uh, by a friend and he said, man, this guy Casey is so good at storytelling, but like the video part is pretty rough. And that to me set a light bulb off because at the time I thought I had a pretty good, pretty good grasp on, hey, I can make these cinematic time lapses. I can do these pretty shots. I can get some depth of field going. I've been learning how to do that, but I felt like my story skill set was lacking massively. 
And I was totally unfamiliar with what Casey was doing in the vlogging format. And this was March. And midway through March, he had started going daily. And so it was March, April. It was around April that I was sent Casey's channel. And so I look back at these daily vlogs that he had done. And rightly so, they were pretty rough using GoPros, uh, knocking over cameras. The aesthetic was supposed to be rough. It wasn't as if Casey was trying to be a filmmaker's filmmaker from a cinematography standpoint. But the way he was piecing these t videos together was super intriguing. And that's what kind of lit off a bell for me where I was realizing, hey, uh, if you if you also want to get better at the craft of storytelling and you feel like you've got the mechanics of video figured out, you need to start putting some reps in. And what what subject matter should you be filming because I was struggling to find subject matter. And the more I started to go down this checklist of how do I practice the craft of video more, the more I was realizing it would be easiest to start with myself. And then that solves a couple problems because it will allow me to start working on becoming a better storyteller. It will allow me to hopefully start finding an audience and it will hopefully help me become more com comfortable on camera. Um, and that was kind of what forced my hand a little bit where I realized, hey, maybe I need to try this vlog thing and and maybe this will be the the perfect formula for me where I can be more productive on my art, but then also start to find an audience. And I knew right away from the beginning, I did not want to be a filmmaking gear channel. That space to me was already busy in 2015. And the idea of just doing gear reviews just seemed exhausting. And then I also knew if I just did gear reviews one day when I wanted to post a film I like, people would go, hey, what the heck? This isn't a gear review. Maybe their response would have been a little better than that. But that's a place that I know a lot of my my friends find themselves in where they have built a really strong channel on a topic, but they don't have the freedom to explore into other areas. And for the detriment of the growth of my YouTube channel, I just decided right out of the gate, hey, we're just going to do the YouTube channel about whatever I want. So that way I'm, I can keep having freedom to explore and create on it. And that was my creator approach from the beginning. And that's the only reason why I was willing to do it. And so now these days I could consider starting other channels on different topics and maybe try to grow those. And maybe that's a worthwhile thing to do. Uh, my friend Levi on Vancouver Island just did that with sustainable brands. So he started a channel called Future Proof, which is dedicated to, hey, is this product sustainable? And it's just looking into different brands and breaking them down. And I think that channel eclipsed his main channel in under a year. I might have those stats wrong, so I'll have to update that, but I'll put it in the show notes. But I say all this to go... The best part about being a creator is that you can do it how you want to. That's the best part. If you are looking out into the world and you go, hey, I don't really resonate with the way that some of these things are getting done. But the beauty is, is that you can just choose to do it your way. And that's what an audience is going to like. And maybe it won't get the most views. Maybe it won't grow as fast. But it certainly might be the one that's most enjoyable for you in the long run. And sustainability is a massive question in the creator space of how do you actually stay plugged in and engaged and caring uh, year to year, month to month, because it's a marathon. How do you how do you how are you willing to keep showing up? So when I ask myself, am I, am I an influencer? Am I a filmmaker? What's first? Uh, at different times, there's been emphasis on other things. Uh, but for me... I've become more and more comfortable with being a creator first, acknowledging that the way that I've started my channel allows me to put some of my art in the feed with the normal uploads. 
things like the Slack Life series that's coming out, things like videos with my friend Trent Palmer, where I'm doing this hybrid documentary format where I'm showing up at my friend's place and making a video about them, but I'm using my creator life to be the insert point for why the audience might find it interesting in the first place. Um, I'm going out and I'm building an igloo on my Christmas vacation and I'm having a lot of fun doing it and it's finding an audience and people are enjoying it. The The winter storm niche is a very favorable in the, in the realm of views and it's very enjoyable. And by making videos like that and people finding my work and, and liking it, when it comes to another story that I make, they might stick around for that. Not everyone. My goodness. I think, uh, I think our channel subscribers is at around 200,000, 230,000 on the main channel. And honestly, my average views is about 10,000 views. And that's totally okay with me because, you know, someone clicking subscribe is kind of like hitting the like button. They're just saying, hey, I like what you do. And then it comes down to the way that YouTube puts content in front of people and their interests. And based off how much of a certain portion of a video they watch, that then actually enables a video to get views or virality. So when I'm tapping into this uh, winter storm niche and I'm getting a million views on a video, I mean, a million people aren't around for the, the next video I make about my family, um, but I still want to make the video about my family. And I think that's an interesting opportunity to build trust with the viewers that I want to connect with on that deepest level. And then when I have a project that's very personal and dear to me that I, that I release, hopefully some of those people who are invested in the long run are actually there to see it. I'm not sure where you're at, um, but I wish that I had started being a creator earlier. And I think everyone finds himself in that spot where they are observing in the behavior of other people and they're observing their own consumption habits and they're going, hey, this thing that other people are doing, maybe I could do it too. But if you're having an instinct that maybe you'd like to give it a go, it is so beneficial to try earlier than to just sit on it in your head. Because the best part about trying is that you can quit. It's very hard to quit something that you haven't properly tried yet because then it's still in the back of your mind and, it, and it's got too much uh, headspace in your life where you go, oh, maybe I should try that. And then you just constantly have this FOMO of I'm missing out on this opportunity of building an audience and everyone else is doing it and I could do it too and I'm missing out and it's not fair. Try. <laughs> Give it a go. And I think it's a beautiful thing to get to a place where you say, I don't want to do it anymore. That's fantastic. For me, at that five-year endpoint of uploading to a YouTube channel, I made that decision of, I would like to make videos of myself on camera. I'm not ready to do that now. Uh, I have no idea how I come across. So I made a private commitment in a group I was in that I'm going to make four videos. And they're going to be private, and they're just going to be videos of me talking. I'm going to see if I can communicate about an idea in a short video, and I'm going to do four of them. That, to me at that time, felt like a massive undertaking. At that point, I had not filmed myself on camera in years, and every single previous video of me filming myself, I hated. Oh, man, there's some of these videos pre-puberty that are just hard to watch. It's so awkward. The braces on everything. And I hadn't made videos as an adult with myself in them and posted them for people to watch. So I made this commitment of, hey, I'm going to make four videos. And I think I even titled it like journey to journey to being an online creator. I think that's what I called it. And the main goal was just, hey, can I get comfortable with talking on camera? 
And making that private commitment was, I didn't even make it to four videos. I did three. And by the third one, I'm like, we got this. Let's go for it. Let's start making, uh, let's start making some videos on YouTube. Let's go public with it. And thankfully, Casey Neistat pioneering the modern vlog format made that feel approachable because it's a formula that I felt I could engage with where I think it's so helpful to put constraints on things. And when you decide I'm going to make a video in a day of my life, then already, you know, well, the video has to be done by the end of the day. If you're making it, let's say you go to France tomorrow and you're doing a six month backpacking trip in France and you're going to make some videos about it. So many people have tried to do that. And then the footage just sits on a hard drive because there's no, there's no railway tracks to contain the focused energy and to actually give it some direction. So for me, committing to a format of, hey, I'm going to do a vlog as much as that felt icky, it felt icky. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be a vlogger. I didn't want to be an influencer. I didn't want to be on camera, but I had to do something and I was giving myself all these other excuses and vlogging was the easiest format. So I started doing that. And I made a vlog about trying to finish my first film and that ended up being untethered. And it was really cool to have people invested in the journey by the time the film was done. Before it was ever hit published, there's people who said, hey, we want to see what you made, regardless of how good it, it, how good it is. And that to me is a really special opportunity about being a creator that also wants to make good films. Is you can find a group of people that are, that are rooting for you in your corner and actually care if you get it done. And especially as a chronic procrastinator overthinker, being responsible to an audience in a sense is, is very helpful for me. And this isn't even getting into the topic of we could do a whole topic on how doing a vlog helps focus your life and maybe live a better life. That's a whole other topic. Um, yeah, there's times where I wonder what would happen if I just tried to be a documentary filmmaker and just focused on that. And maybe I could have made that work as a career. But my end goal of being able to fund my own projects and have people there to see it, I mean, we achieved that. That is a thing that we achieved back when I did this first eight, eight weekly vlogs and released Untethered. That was a thing that was achieved then. And that was a massive success to me. And every time that I participate in that again, it's continuing on that success for me, where that's what I wanted. I wanted to finish things that I cared about and have people around to go to show it to. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to spend all this time toiling away on an edit for nothing. I'm not trying to get too self-helpy on you here. I'm just trying to say, if you've been thinking about starting, if you've been thinking about doing more, if you've been second-guessing it, I think you should give it a go. Well, thank you for being here for this episode of the Adventure Film Academy show. It's uh, fun to get this thing moving, and there's new ideas constantly about things to do topics on. And of course, we're going to have guests in the future. Um, if you have show suggestions, that's uh, that's hard for me to say right now, apparently, go to at the Levi Allen on Twitter. Let me know what they are. And also just uh, find us in your podcast.